Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Patrick C. Taylor shares a story about a dreadful visit to Paris. When I was 12 years old, I went through two experiences within a few days of each other that caused quite a bit of dread. Um, and I think there are two things that we can all relate to. The first is that I asked out a girl for the first time. And the second is that I was abandoned at the top of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> We've all been there, right? But to tell this story, first I have to rewind a bit. I have to go back to uh, second grade, or actually third grade. My family had just moved out to Norfolk during the summer, and I'd been third grade for a month, and then I broke my arm. I actually, I broke a lot of arms. The last time I did Tell Me More Storytelling was about the way that I broke seven arms, so if, you, if you're curious. Yeah, so I broke my arm. You know, I'm third grade for a month. I break my arm, and I'm out of school for a week, and then I come back to school, and suddenly I'm in second grade. What's going on? See, my mom, she pulled some strings. She's a string puller. Uh, and she decided that she'd put me in school a little bit too early. Like, I was struggling. And apparently, like, it's like I was the, uh, I was the, youngest, I was the youngest kid in third grade, but now I'm the oldest kid in second grade. That's how it worked. I was on the cusp. But this didn't get communicated to me right. Because to me, it was like, holy shit, I need to stop breaking arms or I'm going to be in kindergarten again. <laughs> and... This did, this did not help my social life. Like, I wasn't just like the new kid in second grade. I was that weird kid who was in third grade for a month and then broke his arm, and now he was in second grade. So, like, I didn't make a lot of friends, and I certainly didn't have any hopes of, like, having a girlfriend or anything like that. And this persisted through grade school, bringing us up to seventh grade, which is where the story takes place. Because in seventh grade, my mom, the string puller that she is, pulled some strings and got me on the eighth grade field trip to Paris during spring break. I'd actually been to Paris a couple summers in a row because my mom and I, uh, like we were upper middle class, so if we kept the purse strings tight all year, we could afford to do something bougie in the summer like go to Europe (laughs) together. Uh, But this was my chance to go with some kids my age, maybe make some friends, you know, maybe even meet a girl because the way it broke down was it was me and two other guys and 12 girls. So I like my odds. Yeah. Uh, and so I get to the airport, and I meet the guys, and they're already, they're best friends with each other, and they're like, hey, aren't you that weird kid who was in third grade and then broke his arm and he was in second grade again? Uh, yeah. And that pretty much set the tone for the trip. Like, we get to Paris, we get to the hotel room, and there's two beds, and there's a shitty cot. And they throw their bags on the beds, and they're like, all right, you got the shitty cot. And shitty cot, mind you, is not the brand name. This is just like a piece of shit, little excuse for a bed, like a wire frame with like three sheets of paper sewn together for a mattress and slats of wood, slats of wood that barely make it across so that if you move it all at night, they fall out and wake you up. And so I'd wake up with like the top half of my body on the floor and my legs (laughs) hanging over me. It's terrible. And this trip, like, during the day, it was amazing. We went to see Versailles, we went to Notre Dame, we went to the Louvre. But at night, it was a nightmare. Uh, because these kids, like, you wouldn't think, like, one grade of difference would make that big a difference. But these guys, they were listening to grunge music, they were smoking, they were making out with their girlfriends in the bathroom. And me, I'm just over in the corner listening to Queen's Greatest Hits on cassette tape on my Sony Walkman. Yeah. And writing in my diary or journal or whatever. I'm totally okay calling it a diary. Yeah, 
And these guys, they would pull like the sort of like frat boy pranks, like they dipped my hand in warm water at night to try and make me pee myself, and I wake up and they're laughing and it's all wet down there. Now, Mythbusters tells me I did not pee myself. Thank you, science. But I didn't know this back then, so I was, you know, it was embarrassing. Plus, the bathroom we had, the bathroom door didn't really lock, so these guys found it hilarious when I was in there to kick the door open and then take pictures of me with my own camera. And this was not a digital camera. This is back when you had a limited supply of film. So eventually, I get home, and my dad comes home from the photo place and says, so the developer wouldn't develop some of your photos. Because apparently, there was a naked lady on it. And I had to be like, no, dad. The naked lady was me. But... But there was a girl on this trip who was actually really nice to me, really sweet, this blonde girl named Jenny. And she actually talked to me. And she was clever and funny and smart and all that, so obviously I had a crush on her. I really doted on her. I wrote all about it in my diary. Uh, but I was, I was okay with it being like a friendship. I was okay having a friend on this trip because, I mean, I had never asked out a girl. I mean, all the way back to second grade part two, I'd had crushes on girls. But I was just scared of what would happen. Like, am I going to get rejected? Am I going to get made fun of if I ask a girl out? So I'd never done it. But, I mean, it must have been obvious that I liked this girl because the guys were really encouraging. Like, you should ask her out. You should totally ask her out, man. I'm like, no, I can't can't do it. But then one night they come to me and they're like, hey, man. So we were hanging out with some of the girls talking, you know, without you. And Jenny said she likes you and that if you ask her out, She'll say yes. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, yeah. You should go, you should go ask her out. I'm like, no, I, I don't think I can. They're like, no, listen, this is perfect. We'll go with you. We'll be the moral support that you need. We'll give you that confidence to ask her out. Come on, let's go. Are you guys feeling the dread yet? Yeah, <laughs> yeah so they usher me down the hallway to the hotel room where there's Jenny and a bunch of the other girls, and they... Nudge me in there and like, Jenny, Jenny, Patrick has a question for you. And Jenny's sitting on the bed with like an awkward smile on her face. And I'm like, Jenny, uh, will you go out with me? And she looks at me and flatly just, no. <laughs> and I say, okay. <laughs> and I back out. I have to push past the guys to back out of there. And I do a beeline down the hallway back to my room. And behind me, I can hear laughter. Thanks. <laughs> and yeah, I get back there and I'm angry and confused and I'm writing all about it in my diary. But here's the thing is, I, I was so dumb, I didn't even get at this point that the guys had lied to me. And so I'm writing about this and in my diary I called Jenny a bitch. And this is not cool. Like, you know, there's grown-ass men who do this to women's faces, who do this on, like, dating websites and shit like that. And to put it lightly, fuck those guys. You know, I was just a kid, and I wrote it, in, you know, wrote it on paper, and I felt ashamed about it already. <laughs> Especially when a few nights later, we're all at like a pizza place eating, and one of the other girls leans over and is like, by the way, um, the guys, they, uh, they swiped your diary, and they read it to all of us. It, it's okay, she said. I was embarrassed for you. And then we went to the Eiffel Tower. 
And the Eiffel Tower is amazing. Has anyone here ever been to the Eiffel Tower? Yeah, it's beautiful, especially at night when it's all lit up. And the way it works is like you, you, you know, there's like you get in this giant elevator and it takes you up to like the two lower floors, which are pretty big. And then you get in a smaller elevator that takes you up to the top floor, which is rel- relatively smaller. But then there's an observation deck outside that you can run around. It's great. And you get to see the view of Paris like laid out beneath you. It's beautiful. And I'm up there and I'm enjoying it, you know, but I'm enjoying it by myself because I'm out of friends on this trip. Uh, although I see, I see the back of Jenny's head. I see the blonde hair looking out over, and I think, okay, I'm going to get back in her good graces. I'm going to make a joke. It's a dumb joke, but I go up behind her, and I look down. And I'm like, oh, my God, look, some guy fell. And the girl next to me, not Jenny, not some girl I've ever met, is like, oh, my God, where? And I'm just like, back away. <laughs> Skedaddle. <laughs> and this is about the point where I start to realize I haven't seen anyone I recognize in a few minutes, none of the kids, none of the chaperones. So I do like a full circle of the observation deck, and I don't see anyone. So I do a full circle in the opposite direction, just in case they're all in one giant pack moving in the same direction as me. (laughs) Nobody. I bounce inside and outside. I'm looking around. There's no one. I'm alone. And I I know like the, the little kid thing to do, like if you get separated from your parents, you stay where you are and you wait for them to come back and find you. So, okay, I'm just going to wait, and I wait and wait. It's getting later and later. And then comes the announcement in like both French and English, like, the Eiffel Tower is now closing. Okay. D'accord. Uh, <laughs> so I get in the elevator, and I go down to the lower floor, and I find someone who works at the Eiffel Tower. And they, they all speak English. I mean, everyone in France speaks English, even the jerks who pretend they don't know how. Uh, and, and I ask, like, can can you call over the intercom? Uh, like, you know, in, like, the grocery store when you get separated, like, when I would get separated from my mom at the Navy Exchange, I would go up, and they'd be like, this is Taylor, can you please come retrieve your son from produce? Apparently, they don't do that at the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> so I have to figure this out on my own, and I don't exactly know the way back home from the Eiffel Tower to the hotel, but I know the hotel is near the Seine River. Like, the Seine River is this river that cuts all the way through Paris, and the Eiffel Tower's near there, so I know if I go to the Seine and I walk along the bank for, I don't know, like an hour or two, I'll eventually find the place I recognize, and and I'll be able to get back to the hotel. And, I mean, I don't know if it'll be suspicious for, you know, a little kid to be walking alone in Paris in the middle of the night, but I'm just like... Okay, just keep your head down. Just sing Queen songs to yourself. Just, I, I see a little silhouette of a man. And you'll be okay. And so I'm still in the Eiffel Tower. I'm prepping myself for this. I'm being herded like cattle towards the elevators to, to get out of there. And then I hear from across the way, Patrick! And it's my seventh grade teacher, one of the chaperones. She's come back up, and she's found me. And I figure out what happened. See, one of the boys, one of the kids, he had a severe fear of heights, but he was determined to get to the top of the Eiffel Tower because he had made a deal with his brother. Brother, His older brother was like, I'm going to be in Paris in a week. I want you to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower, go in the bathroom, write a message to me in the bathroom, and when I get there in a week, I'll go up there and I'll see it. And the kid's like, okay, I'll do it. So the kid goes up to the top of the Eiffel Tower, he vandalizes the bathroom, <laughs> and like the moment he steps out of the stall, there's already like a janitor there ready to... like scrub off the message, and that's when the kid turns to jelly. He can't take it one more second up there. And his mom was one of the chaperones on the trip, the chaperone who was supposed to be looking out for me. 
So she takes him down to wait for everybody, and because I have no friends on this trip, when it's time for them to leave, they leave without me, down the elevators, out into the streets of Paris, into the subway, and just as they're about to get on the train, one of the kids is saying, like, hey, wait a minute, where's that, that weird kid who used to be in third grade, and then he broke his arm, and now he's in second grade? <sighs> and here's the thing, I felt, I felt real dread that night. But it wasn't so much the being alone and, and, and having to get back, the idea of having to walk back to the hotel by myself. That was scary, but there was something a little bit exhilarating about that, too. I mean, I knew I had a good story even as a kid. Uh, the real dread I felt was about what was going to happen when I got back there. I didn't know if I was going to be in trouble. I didn't, I didn't know if this was another prank on me. I couldn't really at that point bear the thought of being around those boys that had been so cruel to me. I couldn't bear the thought of being around those girls I'd embarrassed myself in front of, Jenny most of all. You know, I'd gone into this trip wanting to make friends, maybe meet a girl, and at this point, really, all I wanted was to be alone. And I'm tempted to try and put a, a positive spin on this story about how I became stronger as a result of all this, but it's not true. I got home and I took that diary and I buried it out in the trash can outside because I didn't want to remember that again and certainly I didn't want anyone to know what I had been through. Oops. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't... It, it didn't make me any better. Like, I didn't ask out another girl for like three or four years. I didn't make any friends in that time, you know? It, it, I think it does a disservice to act as if being bullied makes you a, a, a stronger person, you know, like... They're just like, stop fighting me. I'm making you a better person through adversity. <laughs> That's not the case. So if there's any lesson here, it's just like to all the parents in the crowd, please teach your kids not to be assholes. Teach your kids not to bully people. And for the love of God, teach your kids not to call girls bitches if they don't go out with them. You know, <laughs> a person is a good person regardless of whether they like you or not. All right. Got it. Thank you. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org. We will find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.